When Jesus gave the Great Commission, as you can see in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, and Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, he outlined four steps to accomplish the work of making disciples for, for him. The first step is go. The second step is preach. The third step is baptize, and the fourth step is continued teaching. In the last lesson, we saw the responsibility disciples of Christ have to go and search for others to help be disciples of Christ. Now, let me emphasize that while it's common for Christians today to invite other people to come, that is, to come to worship services, Jesus said to go. And while there is a time and place for people to say come, as you can see in John 1 verse 39, you will usually have to go to people and teach them before they will ever come. Just think about it. Imagine that you're someone who is not a believer in God or Christ. Getting an invitation to come inside a building to worship God may not mean very much to you. Or imagine that you do believe in God and Christ, but you are happy with your worldly lifestyle. Getting an invitation to come inside a building to worship God may get crowded out by all the things you would rather be doing. Or imagine that you believe you are a devout Christian who faithfully attends another kind of church. Getting an invitation to come to another building may conflict with your already busy schedule and the assemblies of your own church. And therefore, while we need to invite people to come, that is not all Jesus wants his disciples to be doing in their disciple-making efforts. Yet, as I've observed what many Christians and churches do to try and make disciples, their efforts are primarily and sometimes solely about inviting people to come. But if you put yourself in the situations we've just imagined, you can see that most people are not ready to respond to an invitation to come. Instead, these people need to be taught the gospel and understand why it is even important for them to come to the assemblies of a faithful church. So the focus of your going should be to preach the gospel to others. You might be given the opportunity to preach in a casual conversation or to give them Bible study material like a book or a correspondence course or a tract or a DVD, etc. But, as we'll see, one of the best ways to preach is to have a one-on-one -on -one or small group Bible study. And the best way to get these Bible studies is just to ask people if they would be interested to study the Bible with you. And then once you have someone who's willing to study or willing to listen to some things you have to say about the gospel, you need to consider that your responsibility is simply to preach the word planting and watering the seed of the gospel in their hearts, and allow God to give the increase, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5-7. through 7. As you consider your responsibility in preaching, many people, even many who have become Christians for, or have been Christians for many years, have little experience actually teaching people or preaching to people, though they, have, they may have some experience inviting people. So the thought of having an opportunity to preach to people leaves them with many questions. What, what do I do? What do I say? Where do I start? What should we study? 
how should we study? And therefore, I hope this lesson provides you some guidance as you consider the second step in the disciple-making process. Whenever you have the opportunity to preach the gospel, there are probably many emotions you'll, you will experience. Perhaps it's fear. Perhaps it's nervousness. Perhaps it's excitement. Perhaps it's a mixture of these and others. Yet, whenever you prepare to do anything, just remember five, these five Ps. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. And therefore, consider some ways you should prepare yourself to preach the gospel. Number one, study regularly. Good Bible teachers are first good Bible students. The fact is that you cannot teach what you do not know. And while that does not mean that you have to have a great wealth of Bible knowledge before you begin preaching, it does mean you have to have a regular Bible study routine that is focused on helping you grow in that area. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You should present yourself before God as a diligent Bible student as a diligent student of the Bible who is focused on accurately understanding and interpreting the Word of God so that you can teach it to others. You need to be studying the Bible with such regularity that you are making significant steps to go from the milk of the Word to the meat of the Word, as you can see in Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 15. You should be studying the Bible for yourself and to help answer some common objections and errors that are held by others. Second, you should pray. In the last lesson, we considered the importance of prayer and the disciple-making process, but I want to emphasize it here again here. For as you prepare yourself to preach the gospel to someone, you should be very prayerful about the opportunity you have been given. For instance, whenever the Holy Spirit instructed the church in Antioch to send Paul or Saul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13 and verse 3 says, Then, having fasted and prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Previously, we considered from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, from the perspective of praying for open doors for the word. But there's more you should pray for as you prepare to preach. You should pray for the one you are preparing to study with, to have an open heart, that's ready to receive and obey the truths of the gospel. And then pray that you will preach the gospel as you ought to speak. Pray for wisdom in preaching the gospel to those who are not Christians. Pray that God would help you speak with grace. Pray that God will help you know how you ought to answer each one. Third, you should prepare yourself to be patient, kind, and gentle. In lesson two, we considered the love for others that true disciple-makers will have. Included in that point was the need for those who preach the gospel to be patient, kind, and gentle. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26 says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him 
to do his will. And 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. The simple fact of the matter is that preaching the gospel can actually harm people if these things are not in place as you teach. People do not always respond to the truths of the gospel at first, and sometimes you will have, have to help them overcome numerous objections to becoming disciples. They may even get a little bit irritable with you whenever you're helping them come to conclusions they do not like at first. And therefore, if you are not patient, kind, and gentle, you may respond to them in ways that push them further away. Or you may cut them off too quickly. Always remember to conduct yourself in the same way you would want others to conduct themselves in teaching you. So before you preach, make sure you have clothed yourself with patience, kindness, and gentleness to help lead people to Christ. Third, you must prepare yourself to be bold and courageous. Although you should be patient, kind, and gentle, you must never compromise the truth of the gospel. You must be bold that is unreserved and courageous enough to say the things that need said. But you also must be careful to say these things in the way they need to be said. Wisdom will certainly be needed to determine how these things need to be said in a given moment. Look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2 again. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching. Whether the word of God is accepted or rejected, you must not bend in standing for and preaching the truth. Sometimes you will find people who are, who are really seeking the truth and will accept the things you teach them. But sometimes you will find people who are not really seeking the truth and will not accept the things you teach them. But your responsibility does not change. You must simply be devoted to boldly and courageously preaching the word, remembering that God is the only one you should really fear, as you can see in Matthew 10 and verse 28. And next, you must prepare yourself to be humble. People don't like to be exclusively preached at, and for good reason. That is, people do not want someone who has committed sin them making themselves seem like they never needed the gospel of Christ. So, whenever you preach the gospel, you should clothe yourself with humility, recognizing that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. You should preach to others in a way that recognizes that you also have needed to learn and obey the gospel, and that you are not done being in need of God's grace and mercy. Nobody wants to be taught by someone who acts like the Pharisees, the Pharisee in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. The Pharisee stood and prayed, saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. That's verses 11 and 12. Even Jesus, who actually lived a perfect life, did not boast about himself and belittle other people when he taught. You should never make people feel inferior to you 
or think they are a worse sinner than you because of what they have done, because all sin is equal to God. Instead, you should have the humility demonstrated by the tax collector in Jesus' parable who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 13. You will simply be a much more effective teacher when you have a humble estimation of yourself. And next, you must prepare yourself to be a truth seeker. I want to encourage you to never lose the quality in your life of being someone who's consistently searching for the truth. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And Jesus said in John 8 and verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You must never consider yourself to have acquired a complete knowledge of the truth and stop seeking the truth. Included in the heart of a truth seeker is also the recognition that you could be wrong in the conclusions that you have drawn and the things you believe. So you must always have a heart that is willing to examine the evidence and reach any conclusion and take any action that agrees with the truth. Now consider how having a heart, the heart of a truth seeker will impact the opportunities you have to preach the gospel. Certainly, you cannot expect others to open their hearts to the truth if you have not. When this is the case, you'll come across at just preaching at another person. However, when you have the heart of a truth seeker who is on your own journey of discovering the truths in God's Word, you encourage others to have the same heart. And rather than getting into arguments over personal opinions, your studies will be conducted as a search for truth. So admit that you can be wrong and make it clear that your only agenda in the study is to know and follow the truth and help the other person do the same. Well then, after you have prepared yourself, you need to consider where you should begin in your preaching efforts. But I believe that we need to carefully evaluate the proper starting point. Although any subject can be used to get people talking and thinking about spiritual things, you should be careful about where you start in your preaching efforts. Everyone is at a different place spiritually. One of the biggest dangers I would warn you against in preaching the gospel is taking a one-size-fits-all approach. Although it is true that everyone needs to know the same things and obey the same message, it is not true that everyone starts at the same point. So, you need to acknowledge that people have been on a journey for however long they have lived on this earth. And along that journey, they have come to believe certain things to be true and false. And therefore, every person you have the opportunity to to teach will be unique. The Bible is full of examples of this truth. If we just limit ourselves to the teaching done in the book of Acts, we can see this several times. For instance, those who were taught on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 
were of a Jewish background and had to come to Jerusalem at that time in obedience to the law of Moses. Acts 8 records Philip preaching to a man who practiced sorcery and had convinced many people that he was something great. Acts 8 also records Philip preaching to an Ethiopian man who was returning from worshiping in Jerusalem. Acts 9 records Ananias preaching to Saul, who was a devout Jew and had murdered Christians. Acts 10 and 11 records Peter preaching to a Gentile who was a good man and believed in God. Acts 16 records Paul and Silas preaching to some women who were at the riverside to pray on the Sabbath day. Acts 16 also records Paul and Silas preaching to a jailer who nearly committed suicide. Acts 17 records Paul preaching to religious people who worshipped a great many idols. Acts 18 records Paul preaching to fornicators, homosexuals, idolaters, thieves, drunkards, etc. as you compare with 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. Acts 24 records Paul preaching to a Roman governor. Acts 26 records Paul preaching to a king. Now, you should you could consider even more about each one of these situations, but let me simply ask you. Do you really think that each one of these people had the same starting point in learning the gospel? Absolutely not. While they all needed to learn the gospel and hear Jesus preach to them, they were all at different spiritual places. And the preachers needed to begin at the right place. So all of this means that disciple makers need to take the time to learn where they should start. In fact, I want to suggest that not only is it beneficial to take the time to learn where you should start in your preaching, but you can actually do some damage if you do not start in the right place. At least, you may help to shut a door before you teach them what they need to know. For instance, imagine you are trying to teach someone the gospel of Christ. And suppose that one of the biggest questions this person has is about the use of instrumental music. Now, you could go right into a study of that subject, or you could spend some time laying the proper foundation. For instance, this person may not believe that God is a severe God who will punish the disobedient in hell. What good would it do in that case to convince someone about the instrument? Or perhaps this person knows nothing about how to establish Bible authority. How are you going to be able to discuss the authority we've been given for our music and worship, the silence of the scriptures concerning the mechanical instrument, or the difference between aids and additions? And perhaps this individual is not even a Christian, because he or she has never done what the Bible actually requires to be saved, perhaps having only been taught traditional faith-only doctrine. What real good is accomplished by going back and forth about the instrument? And then maybe this person knows very little about the church that Jesus established and about local churches, having only a denominational understanding of the church. What is the benefit of talking about the worship of a local church if the person does not have an accurate understanding of what the church is? So, I think we may jump into some issues at times that puts the cart before the horse, so to speak. While I'm certainly not suggesting that you ignore their questions, I am suggesting that you delay your full response until you have laid the appropriate foundation. 
For instance, if someone asks you a question about why you do not believe it is right to use the mechanical instrument in worship, you could give a simple answer that would lead into a Bible study, such as, that's an excellent question. I believe that it's important to have Bible authority for everything I do in my life, and I haven't found any authority for the mechanical instrument yet. Would you be interested in having a Bible study so I can explain things in greater detail? Or you could say, that's a great question and one that we will consider whenever we study about the church Christ established. Don't let me forget to answer your question. In the same way, think about how the New Testament disciple makers started in different places depending on who their audience was. For the sake of illustration, let's just consider two, compare two examples in Acts chapter 17. First, Paul was preaching to some Jews over the course of three Sabbaths uh, in the synagogue in Thessalonica. The text says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ, verses 2 and 3. This audience would have already believed in God and accepted the law of Moses as being from God. So Paul spent his time with them trying to convince them that Jesus was the Christ and the Messiah who was foretold in the Old Testament scriptures so that they would follow him rather than continue looking for the Messiah and follow the law of Moses. Later, Paul traveled to Athens. When he was there, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there, verses 16 and 17. Many of them did not know anything about Jesus and the resurrection. And when he was given the opportunity to preach to those who were idol worshipers, as you read about in verses 22 to 31, He began by teaching them about the God who made all things. So these two examples demonstrate that people start in different places. And therefore, it is important to take the time to learn where you should start with someone in preaching. You can do this in a couple of ways. For one, your observations may tell you a lot about someone, just like Paul observed the idols in Athens specifically noticing an idol to the unknown God. And then you can simply ask others to tell you a little about themselves before you begin your study. Take time to listen and learn about them, about both their physical and spiritual backgrounds. As James says in James 1 and verse 19, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Next, someone can become a disciple of Christ whenever he or she has all the information needed to make an informed decision. And as a preacher, you have to recognize that the foundation of knowledge a person has is very important. So rather than hurrying someone along too quickly to be baptized, make sure you are patient and help them learn what they need to know to take the appropriate actions while also not being too slow about things. I like to think of a person's Bible knowledge as a ladder. 
Think about someone who knows nothing about God in the Bible as standing on the ground. Think about someone who is at the top of the ladder as someone who has all the necessary knowledge to please God and take the appropriate actions so as to go to heaven. Although it's true that we should always be growing and adding to our understanding. And specifically, I picture a ladder with eight rungs, with each rung representing another piece of knowledge a person needs to have. Let me briefly walk you through some basics about each one of these points. I found this particularly helpful and knowing where it is best to start with someone I'm studying with, considering which rung of the ladder they are on. For a more detailed discussion of each one of these points, I would refer you to a study I've written entitled Answers to Life's Most Essential Questions. In fact, I often use that study, or at least its framework, whenever I'm teaching others. I'll refer to the lesson that covers each rung below. Rung number one is God. People need to know who God is. For instance, they need to know that God is real. They need to know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all possess the nature of being God. They need to know that God is eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. They need to know that God is a holy God. And they need to know that God is both good and severe. That is, He will punish those who, will, who disobey Him. These and other points are covered in Lesson 1, titled, Who is God? Rung number two is the soul and afterlife. People need to know where they are going and why they are here. For instance, they need to know that mankind possesses a soul that survives physical death. They need to know that everyone will experience physical death. They need to know what happens after death, Hades, the coming of Christ, the judgment, and eternity. And they need to know what their true purpose of life on this earth really is. These and other points are covered in Lesson 2, titled, Where Are We Going and Why Are We Here? Rung number three is the Bible. People need to know what the Bible is. For instance, they need to know some basic facts about the Bible. They need to know that the Bible contains the words of God. They need to know that the Bible tells us everything we need to know to please God. They need to know that the Bible is the criteria we will all be judged by. And they need to know how to establish Bible authority. These and other points are covered in Lesson 3, titled, What is the Bible? Rung number four is sin. People need to know what sin is. For instance, they need to know how sin entered the world. They need to know what it means to sin. They need to know some examples of sin. They need to know sin's devastating effects. They need to know that no one can save himself or herself from sin. These and other points are covered in Lesson 4, titled, What is Sin? Rung number five is Jesus. People need to know who Jesus is. For instance, they need to know that Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament. They need to know that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. They need to know that Jesus left heaven to live on earth and accomplish a specific mission. They need to know about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They need to know about... They need to know what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection means for them. These and other points are covered in Lesson 5, titled, Who is Jesus? And rung number six is salvation. People need to know what they must do to be saved. For instance, they need to know 
that they cannot earn their salvation. They need to know that God has required them to do something in order to be saved. They need to know what it means to be obedient. They need to know that they are not saved by faith only. And they need to know that God requires them to hear his word, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of their sins, confess Christ, be baptized that is immersed in water, and remain faithful to be saved. These and other points are covered in Lesson 6, titled, What Must I Do to Be Saved? Rung number 7 is the church. People need to know what the church is. For instance, they need to know that Christ only established one church. They need to know that there are many false views of the church. They need to know that the church is not an earthly organization, a social club, a political machine, a building, Christ, or a group of denominations. They need to know that the church is a collection of God's people, and they need to know about the universal and local church. These and other points are covered in Lesson 7, titled, What is the Church? Rung number 8 is Christian Living. People need to know what God expects of them after they become Christians. For instance, they need to know that a Christian is a disciple of Christ. They need to count the cost of discipleship. They need to know that it is possible to fall from grace. They need to learn to fully trust in God, completely devote themselves to God, walk in newness of life, be diligent, and persevere. These and other points are covered in Lesson 8 titled, What Does God Expect of Me? Whenever you have these rungs in your mind and are preparing to teach someone, I have found that you can often identify where you need to start by observing and listening to the one you want to teach. And since these truths build on each other, you should go to the most basic point they need to understand first and start there. Some need to start at the very beginning, but others are further along and may only need some brief review of some points. And then you should remember that we all still have room to grow in all these areas of our knowledge, even you and I. And then, let's consider conducting a Bible study. Let me again emphasize that there are many ways you can preach to someone. However, I believe it's important to try for a one-on-one or small group Bible study. So, I want to help you consider how you can conduct such a Bible study. Before we consider how to actually conduct a Bible study of that nature, let me share some of the benefits of these kinds of studies. And let me also say that there is a need for both public and private teaching. The problem comes whenever people leave one of these out of the equation. For instance, Christians and congregations that are only ever involved in public preaching during the assemblies of the church are going to miss a great many people who will not come to these assemblies. Both approaches were used in the New Testament and should continue to be used today. For instance, Paul told the Ephesian elders that he taught publicly and from house to house. While public preaching is useful in teaching many people at once, Personal Bible studies are useful on a number of levels. For one, personal Bible studies are a way to reach people who do not attend the public preaching. Next, personal Bible studies allow the preacher to start at the right place for the prospect, whereas public preaching is much more general. 
Similarly, personal Bible studies also allow you to help the prospect make personal applications of the truth, answer specific questions, rephrase what you've said so that the student understands, give useful illustrations, etc. And then personal Bible studies also provide an environment that helps the prospect not be hindered by the objections and responses of others. And personal Bible studies can be arranged according to the prospect's schedule, whereas he or she may not be able to make the de- designated time for, public, for the public preaching. Now, when you've arranged a Bible study, there are some basic things that you need to have in order to conduct it. Consider a few basic points in addition to the preparations we discussed earlier in this lesson and in this series. Number one, you need to have a Bible. You should not ask ask someone for a Bible study and then spend all or most of your time talking about politics, family, hobbies, etc. Instead, you are there to study the Bible and preach Jesus, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Make sure that you look up the Bible references together and take turns reading. Remember that God is the authority, not you. You may also need to take an extra Bible in case the one you're studying with does not have one, and you may need to help them find the passages. Number two, you need to have someone to study with. In order to conduct a Bible study, you need someone to study with. I believe there are many people who are willing to study the Bible and discuss spiritual things. You just need to ask. Number three, you need a teacher. The focus of this lesson and this series has been to help you teach a Bible study and work to make disciples. But if, for some reason, you do not feel that you should teach, make sure you have someone who's qualified to teach. You can probably find someone in the congregation you assemble with. Or you can utilize DVDs, written Bible studies, internet studies, etc. Just note that if you use any of these Make sure you have made the necessary preparations, such as a DVD player, internet connection, etc. Number four, you need a date and a place. You need to arrange a place for the study and a time. Find a place and time where there will be the least amount of distractions, such as a time children are in school. I also suggest that the setting for the study is important in that it is good to sit across a table from each other. This allows you to look at the Bible together, take notes, etc. And do be careful as to who you're meeting where. Don't put yourself in a compromising situation, such as a man and woman meeting in a house by themselves. To avoid this, take someone along on the study with you or meet in a public place. Number five, you need a plan. Don't go into the study with no idea about what you want to study. Although you may spend a good portion of the first study getting to know one another and learning where your starting point is, you should still have a plan mapped out and be ready to get started. Don't allow the study to bounce from topic to topic without making any real progress. I have found the latter I shared a few moments ago to be helpful in this. And then if you have prepared some material in advance, such as a workbook, make sure you have brought an extra copy to share. Also, don't allow yourself to talk above the the student's head. Use terms that 
will be familiar to the student and give the student time and opportunity to grow. Next, I'd simply encourage you, practice, practice, practice. The work of preaching the gospel and personal Bible studies is a great and often neglected work. But, like anything you do in life, it does take practice. Yet, don't quit having Bible studies just because you didn't like how one Bible study went. Instead, as Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Just as you improve at other things the more that you do them, you will get better as a preacher of God's word the more you do it, if you're looking for ways to improve. For instance, you will learn how to overcome objections, how to present difficult truths, how to begin a study, how to tell if the student has understood what you have taught, etc. But if you quit, you will leave a great work undone in the kingdom of the Lord, and God will hold you accountable for this error. As we close, recognize that being a disciple-maker for Jesus Christ is about more than just inviting people to come to a church building. It is also about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ whenever there is opportunity to do so. But preachers must be wise in how they present God's word and speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, verse 15. Do not neglect this great work. For, as Romans 10 and verse 14 asks, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher?